Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 65, our favorite Python libraries for teaching. My name's Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster-Paredes, and I am a teacher that codes. So Kelly, we're trying to squeeze in one fast little recording session this week to talk about our favorite libraries in Python because we're starting to get to that section of our course where we really dig into the libraries, the extra things that students can do. We finished the review. It's time to go on to look at all these cool things that we can do with Python. And more importantly, what can you learn from it? Absolutely. And this is always kind of like a um, learning opportunity for me because I think every time we get to this quarter, I try to squeeze in a little bit of a new library. So it's always that one of those learning curves for me that I like to do. Yeah, and, and I've been having fun with it this year in particular because it introduces things that keep it new and interesting for me as well. So I've taught some new things this year that I've never taught in previous years simply because the libraries make it much more interesting and fun. It also goes back to what we talk about with Python as being a batteries-included language or better still, the fact that there are so many different batteries out there that you can play with <laughs> and import that it gives you a lot of things that you can work with and show to your students in a very economical amount of code. Yeah, and it, 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 the same thing, it's you can bring in these libraries and you can cycle back through these concepts, these basic concepts with the libraries, reinforcing a little bit of vocabulary for our younger students and showing them that it's this um, reciprocal, not just reciprocal, but recyclable information in a new library, in a new look. Yeah, maybe reusable, right? Or yep. re revisiting old friends. Revisiting old oh, friends, I like that. yeah. I like that. Okay, so before we get into that, let's start where we always do with the win of the week. So something good that's happened inside or outside of the classroom. And Kelly, I'm going to make you go first this week. Don't we have a shirt for that? Probably. probably. <laughs> Still, haven't Still waiting for it. My win of the week. How about this? We have a couple of people that got some of our products off of our shop. Yeah, we have our first sales on the Teaching Python web store. So mm -hmm. that was pretty exciting to see. Like Someone actually liked it. It was the power of yet. I, I mean, what do you mean somebody actually liked it? That's the, one of the coolest. That was when I got hooked on making t-shirts. So and if anybody did not listen to last week's episode, this is my new passion. And it's kind of taking over a little bit of my coding time. But it's so much fun. Your productive procrastination, right? It takes me back to my design thinking age time and it, bringing back those old skills of using an illustrator and kind of messing with designs. It's kind of fun. Nice. Well, I think it's a great example of the power of yet. Last week, if you had asked us, we hadn't sold anything yet. <laughs> and this week we have. Yay. So it worked. For me, the win this week has really been just wrapping up a project at home where I'm redesigning my garage and setting things up so I have a workspace and we're expanding our, our livable space out into the garage. So it's been a few weeks worth of work to go through getting it air conditioned and getting things cleared out and organized. But now I have a nice workspace. I have a new chair coming in soon that's going to make it easy and comfortable for me to go out there and get things done. And so I have moved off the dining room table that I started with back at the beginning of the COVID pandemic and quarantine. And now I'm at an actual workspace again. So it's pretty exciting. I'm sure your family's very happy about you being out, especially since we have another new robot making the Biddle. Yeah. Little been, doggy by, by Patoy. Yeah. It looks like a little mini Boston Dynamics dog, right? The same yellow and black 
quadruped robot. It's very, very fun to play with and comes with a bunch of pre-built motions and animations and everything. But what's cool about it is it's very expandable. So it runs Arduino code. You can plug a Raspberry Pi into it, but it also has Grove connectors for things like I2C or digital and analog pins and things like that. So looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It is definitely still early stages. There's a lot of let's calibrate it using the serial monitor and the Arduino IDE. And yeah, that's sort of fun, I guess. But <laughs> once you get it, it works really well. Yeah, what I like about it is the it has 11 servos. And it just reinforces the fact of having a microcontroller or a board and some parts and a servo. You can do tons of things. Yeah, that part is very, very cool. So we'll be playing with that more. Maybe we can do like a little video review of it or something like that because you got to see this thing in action. It's pretty fun. Sean just likes the way it does its push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> Namaste. I need, I need more push-ups. <laughs> so Kelly, any fails this week? Anything that you'd like to call out as being like, ah, maybe that could have gone better? There's always opportunities for failure. Right now, I feel like we're a little bit slower in our process of our curriculum, but I find that I'm going in a little bit deeper in some of the aspects. So I got hooked yesterday. I think it might have been a fail because I think I might have confused them, but I was playing around with Al Swigert's string methods and different methods that you can do on a string in a loop. And I started showing to the seventh graders and next thing you know, it was like a 60 minutes of me coding. And I kind of felt like you when you just get so excited. And <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm really sorry. It was only supposed to be 20 minutes of a code along, but I hope you guys were having fun. I had fun. <laughs> But that was a, probably a fail because I you, you forget as a teacher that having that much time and making the kids sit there kind of not really actively doing the thinking, they were just sort of copying. That, that's probably a big fail on my part, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see what happens on their challenge this week. Yeah. Yeah. I was having a little bit of a classroom management fail this week also. I kind of recognized that I was being a bit shorter with my students this week, that like my patience was thinner than it usually is. And I don't know if it was the fact that I wasn't getting as much sleep as I needed to, or it's just we're in April of a very long school year and I'm tired and feeling maybe a little burnt out or something. I resolved to get better sleep, take better care of myself, take some time to just step back and relax and make sure that I'm being as patient and as thoughtful with my students as I hold myself to, right? Like that high standard. Absolutely. I mean, we're three weeks into our nine weeks and we still have eight weeks. I'm not really sure how three plus eight equals nine. But there's some <laughs> weird like weeks in there. But yeah, we're getting towards the end and it's hard to believe it's been a long year. People keep saying it goes by fast, but I totally disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about these libraries. And I'm going to doom myself by saying that I think we can go through these fairly quickly. <laughs> but let's start. What's the first library on your list that you love to teach with? I'm skipping the guest to number two because I was going to make you go first, but we'll just let you t do your libraries all together. I am putting out there a new library that I am playing with and it is Pillow. It's not a new library for probably most of you out there. It wasn't one of those libraries that I was ready to bring in, but it, it's really simple now that I am over my imposter syndrome and I can start diving into these libraries and realizing that it's something that is tangible for the sixth graders. And I guess that's mostly due to the fact that I can use it in Moo Editor. Again, if I can't use it in Moo Editor or if I can't access it quickly and easily with a third-party package, then I'm just going to skip over it because at this point of time, I don't want to work in a big boy pants editor with my sixth graders. 
but it's so cute and the fact that I can give them a cat picture or a dog picture or whatever an anime right now is some sixth graders really like and they can put it into the move folder and just quickly manipulate it showing them that you have this object and that object gets a method applied to it voila you put dot show and it shows up again just showing them how i take this object apply a method and it's there quick and easily we don't do a big deep dive into it but it's something that if they want to look further in to this library they can yeah and i think that kind of leads into mine as well and what i like about pillow is that if we focus just on the basic primitive data types, the ones that I always teach are integers, floats, strings, and booleans. And of course there are a bunch of other ones, but those kind of primitive data types, you get the students fixated on that. They start to think about these are the only types of data that we have. And then you introduce maybe lists and dictionaries and other stuff. And okay, we've got something more, but they think very textual and numbers based and everything. But as soon as you start bringing in pillow, they start to realize, wait, there's more to this than just making stuff happen on the console or making stuff happen in the REPL. Wow, now I'm actually getting pictures and things like that. And I, I really like that about Pillow. And you see it crop up in a ton of different places. People use Pillow for all sorts of things to manipulate images and work with them. And it's very maybe starting very simple, but it's very powerful. Yeah, and we have to give our shout out to two of our well, not just our favorite people, because we have lots of favorite people out there, but definitely going to shout out to Michael Driscoll, who has a whole book, and I'm not going to lie, I have not even touched past maybe the first <laughs> the first intro documentation of Pillow, because I'm, again, working with just sixth graders and seventh graders with this. Mike Driscoll wrote a, a book called Pillow Image Processing with Python, and he was also with our buddy Christopher Bailey on Real Python on a Real Python podcast. And we'll put that on the link. So if you are past sixth grade and past seventh grade and you want to do stuff with images, check out those resources. That's very cool. And we teach with it as a way to show other things that you can do and to reinforce that learning. Another library that fits really well into that, the number one on my list is the date time module. I know part of the standard library, but there's something fascinating to me about the ability to use dates and times as a as an object so we show that to them as another object that they can use and they can manipulate and they can play with and the thing that i really like about that is that it helps them solve these problems that maybe are hard to solve just by yourself how many days are between these two dates well how would i count that up how would i figure this out and by showing them that you can use the date time library with a date object or date time or time deltas you can start to answer these problems that are maybe a little bit harder to figure out on your own and so we've taught with it saying hey here are the actual dates from the back to the future movie like he starts in 1985 and he goes back to 1955 how many days is that in between those two dates and then we also say if you were going to go back in time from today, the same amount of time that Marty McFly went back in time, how far back would you go? And it turns into something crazy, like it's somewhere in the 1990s, like 1997 or something. And everybody's, oh my gosh, like it's crazy or 1991. And so this is such a great way for them to start to see how they can use it to solve other problems. Yeah, for me, it's that magic of code. And it sounds really silly, but the fact that I put date today 
in today's code and I run it and I get today's code and then I go, okay, let's open up two days later and guess what? Look at day to day, it's changed. Imagine if you had to change it. It sounds really silly, but for a 10 year old or 11 year old and 12 year old to see the fact that you don't have to mess with that code, it's done for you, somebody's done that. Um, with this little line of code, now you can always use this. And 10 years down the road, you still have today's date showing up in your code. Yeah, it transforms. There's a moment where they go from having this, um, everything is literal, right? Like everything that they type in is a literal on their code. And whatever they type in is what's produced. But once they start using inputs, once they start using date time dot today, once they start using other things that will be dynamic and changing every time they run the program, that's where I think it really starts to get exciting. Yeah. It also allows us to start working with functions with that. I like that feature with the date time. We add in the functions with them so that we don't have to write those literals in there and those functions become an actual function that can be used later on in another part of the code. And it just solidifies those little Python concepts that we like to cycle back through. Right. And, and I think this is a great place where you can show them really easily, hey, here's the place in the code where you can encapsulate that knowledge, right? Or they encapsulate that function into something that is reusable. And you figure out the hard math of how many days are between these two dates or how do I convert something from a string into a specific date time object that I want. This gives them the ability to say, I've done that once, I'm gonna put it in a function, I'm gonna use the function over and over and over again. And that's a lot more interesting to them than, oh, I know how to multiply two numbers with a function. That's not interesting. So your other library that you have on there is a random, and I'm just gonna jump in quick on that one because that's the first library that we teach in sixth grade. And I do it basically for turtle. <laughs> because so cool putting the turtle into random spots or putting in random colors, having this random integer, a random choice colorless. And that's all we really use for random at that level. But it's so magical when the sixth graders see those, these random beautiful circles for some reason on their, on their computer. And so. it's really an amazing thing. And, and this is actually one of the big things in game design. Games aren't fun unless it's different every time you play it. Otherwise, it's just a simulation. So for these students, if they're not using random or they're not using the date time or something like that, if it's the same code every time they run it, why should they run it twice if they see the same thing once? Or maybe they'll run it twice and then they'll run it a third time. But whenever you make it random, now suddenly it's interesting because every time they run it, something new will happen, something unexpected. And that surge of delight that you get from, ooh, something new. It's really a good thing and it makes them excited about it. It makes them want to do something else. And then what happens if I change this? Does that still become unexpected? And it's a really great way of introducing interest and excitement into your code by introducing an element of randomness. We use random.choice, we use shuffle, mm -hmm. we use all of these things to create randomness within our code. And this is something that we can spiral through. So maybe the first time we do it, it's random. And the second time we do it is choice. And then we come back and we do shuffle when we talk about data structures. So we're constantly revisiting the random library in order to reinforce the learning. Yeah, and it's one of those that they always come back to. I don't know why, I, I, it is like that excitement level and they know that they can add in, ran, uh, import random and be off with it. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. And we always combine that with the list. I think if you wanna put a list of colors or you wanna put a list of integers, that's so easy to jump in with the sixth grader or seventh grader. 
that it's something that's going to stick and apply. Yeah, it's definitely a great way to make it more interesting. And they get excited every time. Like, what should we import? Import random. No, 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 <laughs> not this time. But good, good idea. So the next one, and I, again, I'll start with this because I'm doing it at the basic level, is the math library. You can't go wrong with the fact of showing the kids that I can easily just pull up math dot you know pi and bring up 3.1, I don't even know how far it goes into it, 3.14 something, something, something. I think something. it's nine or 10 digits. It's significant. I, yeah, I, I wasn't one of those people. Some of our kids here have memorized 70 something um, integers of the pie, but I'm not that person. But it's nice to show them that you have these kind of built in mathematic ability and we just do basic ones again staying at the small part i like to have the greatest common denominator least common denominator and it brings them back to those fourth grade fifth grade math problems and they're just like oh i could have just done that with print math.gcd and two numbers yes so you don't need to learn math anymore just go to the import math library right all those math teachers are cringing well, I do think it gives them another avenue for that. So there are plenty of students who are just total math geeks who love math and they love doing this. And I'm like, well, you know, you can do a lot of really cool with math with Python. So it's, again, connecting that interest for them. And when they see that there's a lot of these things that are already implemented for them, it's, wow, this is really cool. Absolutely. My next one is matplotlib related to math. I mean, I just love the idea of visualizing data. And the second we get into lists and lists of numbers, I love showing matplotlib. And then that leads us into multi-dimensional arrays or, or at least two-dimensional arrays where you can have multiple lists of data and plotting them and visualizing them and everything. And this is something that you can just keep building on and building on and building on. And I think it just gets better and better the more that you introduce with the source data and the different types of visualization. And then once you show students, like, look, you're used to a line graph or a time series or something like that, but now go look at all of the different visualizations that can be produced with matplotlib. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. Okay, now go look at Seaborn and now look at Bokeh and look at all these other plotting and visualization libraries. They get really excited about it. And you know, just last quarter, I had a few students who went through and they were plotting historical stock data from Y Finance and figuring out which of these ticker symbols have had the greatest growth rate and here's how to visualize it and everything. It was really cool to see them get to that point with their code and matplotlib makes it really powerful for them because they can see it. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, those are one of those, that's one of those libraries that we used at the beginning because I was really hooked on it. And I, I feel bad sometimes for students because I get really hooked on it and then I'm like, a oh, pass, I'm now on Pillow now. And now I'm on this library. But it was something that was really cool. And I love the word cloud feature of matplotlib. So if you oh, haven't yeah. seen that, have those English teachers out there to get them into coding, show them a word cloud with matplotlib and they don't have to go generate on some random random advertised website out there. Yeah, if you have data and you need to turn it into something with pixels, there's probably a way to do it with matplotlib. Yeah. It wouldn't be a list if we didn't put Turtle on there. Oh. I mean, I, we had the whole episode, a whole episode on Turtle. I'm not even going to go talk about it too much. But, you know, some people like to put Turtle first and teach kids how to code with Turtle first. Um, for me, it does not work because turtle is easy but you lose the the python concept sometimes because it is just t forward t back you know t right and they don't really understand what they're doing they just kind of memorize it so i like to go through the python concepts we go up through lists and then i use turtle to teach functions yep. and 
teaching functions, making their own functions in sixth grade is pretty remarkable. In three weeks, I have kids making beautiful Mondrian art function built turtle program. And people joke around thinking that my kids are only doing 20 lines of code. But these little crazy kids are are monsters. They're coding monsters. They're busting out with lots of lines. I think turtle is one of those libraries that you can always come back to and have some fun with it. It is just a fun library. And for the right students at the right times, it lets them apply something that they learned outside of turtle within that space. So yeah, there's a tendency to go back to the just the sequential T dot forward, T dot right, very like prescriptive approach to it. But then you also get the students who are like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to figure out some of these methods. I'm going to look up the documentation. I'm going to figure out that you can do this. And I'm going to do try this thing. I'm going to make some functions. And I'm going to organize it. And maybe I'm going to bring in the random library. I'm going to use math. There's a ton of really cool stuff that they can do once they realize how this works. And I think the way that was really opened up to me was when I saw the, I think it was either Math Adventures with Python or Doing Math with Python. Those books use um, Turtle as a plotting library to be able to plot data using the XY coordinate system in, in Turtle. It works really well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, my next one is one that's a favorite and I don't use it all the time, but for some students, depending on what project they're working on, I love to show them Bullet. If they have time to sit down and figure it out, Bullet is a library that lets you make really nice menus and choices and things like that with command line applications. And it works primarily on Mac and Linux. It doesn't work as well on Windows, but it lets you have multiple choices or checkboxes or text input, number input, things like that. We start off by showing all the students basic inputs and then they have to cast it to a data type or make it work the way they want. We use this, for example, with rock, paper, scissors. I love being able to show them that they can turn it from the the student typing in rock or paper or scissors and having to validate that into, you can just give it a list of rock, paper, and scissors. It'll give those as the choices and it'll return the move to you. And it's a really simple way of showing how you can use some of these libraries to make your code more robust without adding a lot more code to your project. Agreed. And, And on that same line, just a real quick one, the Git Pass. You showed me that, and I always forget it, and I just had to go back and look at it again because I always try to say passcode, and that's a totally different library. I'm not even sure what that one does, but the Git Pass library, very cool, works in CoLab. Again, I'm all about ease. If it works in CoLab, it's good. If it works in Moo, it's good. Um, but it just allows students to change input for Git Pass, and it'll put the little asterisks when they go to type rock, paper, and scissors. Mm-hmm. So these little things... They're like that wow factor that takes about, I don't know, two minutes to teach. Mm-hmm. Here's a library. Cool cool people coded this stuff for us. All we have to do is write get past, dot get past right. <laughs> and go for it. And on that note, just a side note, when I'm teaching to the little kids, I, I don't do import get pass as GP or import get pass as something else because I find that that confuses them or import turtle as T. For me, when I was learning, I like to write the whole get pass. I know it's the longer version, but it's just the way for the sixth graders to understand. And then later on, I show them, it's like showing them a shortcut. Here's the nickname. Right, so I like the ability to adjust the namespace. I also like showing them the from this library import just this thing so that they can see that, okay, I'm not gonna import everything from the library. I'm just gonna import this one thing. It helps simplify my code, but then we also talk about some of the decisions that you make in terms of like when to do that versus when to import the entire library. The last one on our list here is one of your 
surprise favorites. I would not have picked this as one of your favorite libraries when we first started our journey of learning Python together. But tell us what it is, Kelly. Oh my God, it's a regex. Regex is that? How yeah. you, I always like to say regex. I don't know, but I, you know, I can't get enough of these stupid little things because they blow my mind. And I'm back doing again because I like to read my books halfway and do my Udemy courses halfway, but I'm back with Automate the Boring Stuff with Al in his video on his uh, Udemy course, and we'll put the link there. So if you're not on, if you don't have that course, go get it, it's worth it. But he goes through and does all the little simple tricks with the compile, the search, and match operator MO. He always uses MO. I don't match operator I don't know it yeah. tells me something MO and does little quick things of looking up phone numbers how to look up the area code but not the phone number how to look up the phone the first seven digits without the first three and it's just so so cool to see like using this little bit of foreign information to really get and dig into text or messages or string and it's just magic i just right. i like the magic of it you've shown it to your students a few times yeah. like the, this is something you can do uh, it still looks like black magic <laughs> it's just like wow what how does that work even we're seeing as our students are getting more and more sophisticated i think we're going to see more opportunities to use this in our code and in our classroom yeah and again if you're a teacher of middle school or high school or, or college by showing them these tiny little libraries, this allows you to still go on with your concepts. But hey, well, why don't you try to use import regex, import something like this, and see if you can update that code. While I'm boring you with my lecture, I'm boring you with my code along, what if you try this? And that's how we have this extension of abilities because we have kids that come in sixth grade never coding and by the end of that nine weeks they're oh i just downloaded visual studio code can you help me i'm like yeah i'm not on that right now i'm still trying to teach the kids how to do lists <laughs> why don't you go check out this library and come back to me yeah yeah it's it's great to be able to show them and have some of those in your back pocket that you can let them play with and let them figure it out and it makes them they get a little bit more excited about it, I think. Absolutely. So that's the end of our list. We'd love to hear more about lists that you You don't enjoy. have one more? That's nine. You that's can't nine? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We've got to have one more. Um, <laughs> time. See. Time's an easy one. Well, we already have date time. Okay. Although I do like showing time.sleep, right? Yeah. So introducing pauses. And what I love most about that is not showing them <laughs> time and having them find it and go, wait, I can do a pause or I can make it sit for a second. It's the worst when you're grading the games though. And they put in those time blocks and I'm like, really? I've got to wait for this to load. I'm, I'm like, go back and hashtag all their time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have three, two, <laughs> one. And I'm like, oh my God, for goodness sake, just go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a whole bunch of libraries that I am not introducing on purpose yet. But I would love to. Like Iter Tools is an amazing library, and having things like Cycle and Chain and stuff like that are really great. Yeah. There's a bunch of standard functions that I'm not using, like Map and Reduce and things like that, just because we don't quite get there in our course. But if a student needs it, I can show it to them once in a while. Funk Tools is another good one. There's just all kinds oh, of good stuff. The collections ones, but yeah, not ready to show my sixth and seventh graders. Maybe a counter feature. Yeah, you can probably get away with just those basics, but some. I guess that's the things we use a lot and developers are probably like, what about this? And we can go through a list of them, but these are ones that are quick and easy. 
show the kids and the documentation's easy to read, easy to understand. So kudos to all those people out there who wrote those libraries. Yeah, they're really great. And we're going to use them in the classroom. We'll keep digging out new ones too, because it keeps it fresh and interesting for us. And if it's interesting for us, it's interesting for our students. Absolutely. Okay. So I think that does it. We have new merchandise on the Teaching Python store. Kelly has been very busy coming up with t-shirts and onesies and mugs and all sorts of stuff. So you can find that at shop.teachingpython.fm. It takes a few days to get to you, but it helps support the show and we really appreciate that. A big thank you and shout out to all our Patreon sponsors. We actually got a new one this month. Brianna sponsored us at the $5 a month level. So thank you for that. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. I think we have a Pinterest account. You can find us at teaching python on all of those social media networks our primary social media network is always going to be twitter where you can find us at teaching python you can also send us email through our website at teachingpython.fm or if you really really want to just send us an email at info at teachingpython.fm and we'll look forward to getting back to you thank you to all those people who have sent in messages to us we have a little bit of a backlog that we're working through but we're excited to respond to each and every one of you and your mail makes us very happy so thank you for that I don't think there's any other announcements other than the Innovation Institute is coming up in just a couple of weeks. So Kelly and I are speaking at that. And we are looking forward to attending PyCon US. We're working on the final approvals to go do that virtually this year. That's coming up in May. We are looking to attend the Education Summit. So if you're looking into going to that as well, hook up with us on Twitter. Let us know that you're going so that we can watch out for each other. Kelly, is there anything that I'm missing in terms of announcements? I don't think so. All right. Well, then for Teaching Python, this is Sean. This is Kelly signing off.